This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. A couple of years ago, we uh, had a men's ministry challenge that was uh, 10 weeks long. And throughout those 10 weeks, we were challenged to read scripture and memorize scripture and change our diet and do physical activity and uh, interact with people different. It was uh, intellectual, spiritual, physical, relational, this, this huge way of drawing us into the Lord and helping us develop ourselves. Part of the process uh, was a, a physical challenge. One of the things I struggled with early on because I was a little out of shape. And uh, the, the goal was that we would run a mile and time ourselves at the very beginning of the 10 weeks. And at the end of the 10 weeks, we would run a mile and time ourselves to see how far we'd come. And so getting through that first mile was a challenge. I know that some people love to run. They do it for exercise. They do it for clarity of mind. It's a, it's a pure joy for them. I'm, I'm of a different opinion about running. I don't think a grown man should run unless there's a really good reason. Like an apex predator chasing you. That's a reason to run. Someone saying, hey, getting the meat off the grill, come and get it. That's a reason to run. putting in miles for exercise. Not a good reason to run. I cannot convince myself of, of the value of doing that on a regular basis. Just, just the worth isn't there for me. So I, I get out to, to run through this mile and, and I, I can't run a whole mile. It's been literally since gym class in junior high, since I've, I've gone a whole mile at once. And so I, I run some, I walk some, I run some, I walk some. And, and the thinking in my mind is, I'm going to time myself at the beginning and at the end. And so this first time, it doesn't matter. I'm going to, it's going to look like I've improved so much. I could walk the whole thing. It'd be great. So I've got this in my mind, like, yeah, it's fine. So I run a little bit. When I feel the burn in my lungs, I just walk a bit, jog a little bit, walk a little bit, jog a little bit, walk. It's only a mile. How many times can I go back and forth between jogging and walking? And there were, there were days, because that first week, I had to, to do, do a mile three times in a week. There were times in that week and I would, I would be running and think, man, I've, I feel like I've been, I've been going a long time, but I still have a long way to go to get to the end of this mile. I don't think I'm going to make it. This hurts. And I would focus on the, the distance I still had yet to go. I would focus on the aches and pains on my lungs that were burning and just feel overwhelmed at the prospect. And I just... Convincing myself that I didn't have enough to get there. Have you noticed that when we face a challenge, when we face difficulty, when we have an overwhelming obstacle, the battle is very often won or lost in the mind. Our ability to achieve, accomplish, to succeed is, is a mental struggle for us. Have you ever been in that situation where you had a physical goal you wanted to accomplish and you we're limited by mental barriers. And, and have you ever gotten to the place where you overcame those, those mental barriers and, and really accomplished more physically because you were willing and able to overcome the, the mental struggle that was there? It, it, it's a real phenomenon that happens in our lives that, that our physical abilities are affected by the way we perceive the outcome of our work. We're very often bound by perceived limitations. Sometimes we're bound by 
our experience in the past. We think, well, the first time I tried this, this was all I was able to do. And so we set a benchmark. And you would think, well, a benchmark is something that you'll overcome next time. But sometimes those benchmarks become limitations. Well, the last time I tried this, this is all I could do. So I'm going to expect this time, that's the limit of what I'm going to be able to do again. And sometimes we limit ourselves mentally by focusing on our past, on our experience. We focus on the negative. We focus on the, the, the things yet still to accomplish, on how little we have, the places where we lack, our thoughts of failure. And so we begin to think in terms of, I can't, I'm not able to, I'm going to fail. And those thoughts become self-fulfilling, right? Those, the, those mental barriers perpetuate themselves. As we, we turn to our passage in the book of Ephesians, we're, we're reminded of this calling in our lives to, to take a stand, to stand our ground, and after we've faced everything in the spiritual battle that we face, to continue standing. This is very strong calling in our lives to, to hold our ground for the Lord. And we don't want to respond to that calling by saying, you know, I don't think I can stand here much longer. We don't want to respond to that very strong calling from the Lord to say, I'm not able to hold the line. I just, I just can't. I'm spent. I'm exhausted I don't have it in me to continue doing this. We don't want to respond to that calling with this, this thought that I'm so overwhelmed by the, the pressure that surrounds me in the world that I'm ready to give up. And even though we might feel that way, we don't want that to be our response to this high calling we have from the Lord through this passage. And so when we think about what it takes for us to stand our ground, to plant our feet and to continue to stand, we need to find the strength to fulfill this calling. We need to find the strength to stand our ground and to continue holding the line. It's in the Lord and his mighty power that we find the strength to stand, that we find the determination to continue standing. We find the resolve that we need to hold the line. So we're going to read this passage together. It's Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 10. Uh, and this is a passage that uh, we, we are memorizing together. And hopefully as you're memorizing, you're not focusing on how much you have left to memorize or how hard it is for you to remember. Let, let's, let's think positive. Let's tear down those mental barriers and, and accomplish this together. Uh, these, these 10 verses that we want to become a part of our, mind, our lives, to implant in our minds, to, to hide in our hearts so that they will be a guiding passage for our lives. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to Ephesians 6, please do so. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you have the YouVersion app, you can open up that app Search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes in the app as well. Uh, let's begin reading in verse 10. Here's what Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted, with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil, evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me 
so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, this, this passage talks to us about all these pieces of armor that, that God provides. We recognize how they work together, how they, they build for us this full protection. But today we're going to focus specifically on one piece of armor in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. It's printed at the bottom of your bullet. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This week we're going to talk about just the helmet of salvation. Next week we'll talk about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Paul tells us we need to take the helmet of salvation. Take this piece of armor that's designed to protect the head. Now, I'd love to have a a much more eloquent description of what this helmet of salvation is. This is literally a hat that's meant to save your life. It's a helmet. That's that's what it is. It's protective wear for for your head. Made of a variety of materials, sometimes leather, brass, sometimes bronze, iron. Throughout the centuries, technology of of helmets has improved dramatically. But at the time, this this was a part of, of the armor meant to protect your head from an attack that was coming, that you might have missed blocking with your shield, that you might not have blocked with your sword, meant to save your life. If, if your opponent's sword were to get through your defenses and hit you in the head, you would still be alive because the helmet is there. Now, yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, you're probably going to be bruised. A metal sword striking a metal hat, it's going gonna, it's gonna to resound. It's, it's going to rattle you a bit, but you'll still be on your feet. You'll still be alive. That's, that's what it the, the helmet was designed for to spare your life in the heat of battle when an attack would get through. And this is the helmet of salvation that we are to take. It's, it's interesting to me the way that Paul described this piece of armor. Now, now the other pieces of armor, you know, the, that we were talking about early on, put on the, the belt of truth, buckle it around your waist, put on the breastplate of righteousness, fit your feet, with the readiness that comes from the gospel. These are things that you're wearing already. And then Paul changed gears to say, take up the shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. These are things that are handed to you by an armorer or an armor bearer that, that while you would dress yourself in the pieces of armor that go on your person, another person would hand you these other three pieces of armor, the, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. And you would receive from them those things that you would then take with you into battle as you approached the battle lines, the helmet of salvation we have. It's given to us by God, directly from God himself, something that God hands to us, something that we receive from him, our salvation. As we accept it and put it on, the helmet provides for us protection and identification in him. And so we take the helmet of salvation and think about how it identifies us. You think in the lines of battle, that one side of the skirmish would wear a certain kind of helmet, armor, the other side maybe wearing a different kind of, of helmet and armor, and, and you could see very easily who is an ally, who is an enemy, based off of the identification of the protective gear that they have on, especially the helmet. Uh, many uh, armies would provide to their commanders a different kind of designation and insignia, sometimes worn on the helmet so you could identify uh, who's who. And when all of the soldiers put on the helmet, notice that there's a bit of anonymity involved, especially if there's a, 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 a full face guard of the helmet, that when we, when we put on this helmet of salvation, we belong to Christ. We become part of him. 
and not so much concerned about our own desires as we submit to his will, not so much concerned about our own wants, our own selfish things, but surrendering to his will and to his way, following where he leads us, living our lives for his glory and for his kingdom. There are parts of ourselves that we set aside so that when we put on this helmet of salvation, we begin living for him. And this is a very biblical reflection. As we think about what it is to, to become a Christian, accept salvation through Jesus Christ, that we are, are marked with the seal by the Holy Spirit. We are covered by the blood of Christ. We're clothed with Christ, dead to self and alive in him. It's a very clear picture of our identification with Christ. And so this helmet of salvation identifies us with him. And you think about what it means to be identified with Christ and the kind of attacks that would then be targeted toward you. The kind of attacks that are coming from, from Satan and his schemes. Because you've accepted Christ, you put on this helmet of salvation. Now you are facing these very specific flaming arrows of the evil one. These very specific attacks at your person meant to distract you from your faith in Jesus Christ, meant to distract you from your obedience to him, meant to weaken your resolve, wear you down, meant to turn you away from him and towards sin, meant to make you stumble and fall, meant to make you search out some other form of, of comfort and strength apart from the Lord so that you won't be able to stand your ground the way that he's calling you to. These attacks from Satan are clever. They're deceiving. And there's a purpose behind them. And when you identify yourself with Christ, you become very much so a target for those attacks of the enemy. And with this salvation as a helmet, it guards our minds. It guides our thoughts. And the knowledge we have of our salvation gives us confidence to stand. The knowledge of what Christ has done for us, the grace that we live by, the love that fills us, the strength and mighty power of the Lord that he bestows upon us, gives us confidence. It gives us confidence to answer the the doubt and confusion that we were once mired in. We no longer have to suffer in that way. We have confidence in the knowledge of our salvation. We no longer have to, to, to think through and wonder about our purpose, deciding what we want to believe. Because we've accepted Christ, we, we live in him, we believe in the truth of his word. And because of that confidence, we're driven by the hope that points us toward eternity, the hope that we have for our new life in him, it gives us confidence to stand on the foundation of his word, living our lives for him. And this is, this, this is a place where Satan loves to attack believers in this area of doubt. Loves to attack and, and make us question and, and wonder and, and be distracted from a life lived for the Lord. As we, as we sift through truth, as we, as we worry over details and, and we sometimes wonder, even though I've accepted Christ, am I truly saved? Even though I, I, at one point in my life, received grace, was saved, now I've sinned. Am I still in that place? Is something, has something changed? Do I still belong to the Lord? Does he still love me? We're, we get wrapped up in all of these doubts and confusion. 
So maybe it's a doubt about, about the truth of God's word. Is the Bible true? Do I believe everything that's written there? And Satan loves to undermine our confidence. He loves to fill us with, with fear. He loves to fill us with confusion and doubt. Sometimes he, he attacks us with guilt and shame. Whatever he can do to keep us distracted from our faithful living in the Lord, that's exactly where he's going to strike and how he's going to strike. But in, in the Lord, wearing this helmet of salvation, we have confidence in the knowledge of our salvation that we have planted our feet on the solid rock. And we know where we are going to take our stand. We know how we're going to take our stand. We know where the strength to continue standing comes from. It comes from the Lord that he supplies to us so that we can continue to stand. And living in that grace, we have confidence, an appropriate, healthy, realistic confidence. Not overconfidence that we think, well, I can never lose my footing. I can just sin as much as I want to, and God's grace will be proved ever stronger. I just flagrantly sin, and he'll keep forgiving me. No, no, no. That's not the way that we live faithful, obedient lives in the Lord, the, the lives that we're called to live. When we truly accept Christ and surrender to him, we're called to learn what faithful obedience looks like and express our love to God through that faithfulness. We also don't want to think on the other side of things where we were overconfident that we'd be underconfident and think, well, every time I, I make a mistake, every time I sin, I'm no longer saved and I need to run back to God so that I can come back under that umbrella of grace. No, we're called to live our lives in repentance, continually acknowledging the wrong that exists and surrendering it to God, not stepping in and out of grace and salvation, but trusting God's grace to work in the way it's intended, that we would live faithful, obedient lives. And where there is wrong, we would turn away from that wrong and turn back to the Lord and allow him to continue to love and forgive and extend grace to us, knowing that God is faithful to his promise, knowing that God is pointing us toward eternity. We can have confidence in him to do what he said he will do. And we have confidence in Christ because he has already won the victory. That when Christ sacrificed himself on the cross, he redeemed us from sin, purchased us back. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he achieved a victory over sin and death, over Satan, a victory in which we now stand. As we put on this helmet, we live according to our salvation, made alive because of this victory that Christ accomplished on the cross. We're alive in him. And we put on this helmet of salvation. It's not a coincidence that Paul listed this as a helmet, this protective wear for our head. It's a protective barrier that guards our minds. And in the Lord, not only are we given this confidence mentally so that we can physically take our stand, God also helps us to develop our minds in him. And he provides for us a couple of things through the spirit working in us. He provides wisdom and discernment. Now, a few months ago, maybe a year ago, we went through a series in the book of Proverbs, and we talked a lot about wisdom and discernment. It was a very, very powerful series, learning about this use of, of knowledge that comes from God, the work of his spirit in us. And it's incredible for us to think about the way God is supplying us with his strength and his mighty power to stand, to stand our ground in the midst of the spiritual battle that we face, that he would develop us in this way preparing us for this spiritual battle that has a powerful impact on our minds, that he would help us grow in this area as well. He provides wisdom for us. Now, wisdom means that we apply knowledge to our decisions. This isn't just an intellectual activity. This isn't just reading and studying God's word for the sake of gaining information. That's knowledge. 
When we use that information to make wise decisions, to make good decisions, that's, that's wisdom. When we repeat that process, when we use the knowledge of God's word to continue making good decisions, then we are wise. With the wisdom of the Lord, we apply his word to guide our lives, to live faithfully devoted to him, and to make the kinds of decisions that will enable us to continue standing for him, living our lives faithfully obedient. And we need to to use wisdom every moment of every day, recognizing the situation that we're in, applying God's word to our lives, choosing to make decisions that will honor him instead of fulfill our desires and our own selfishness. We live according to this wisdom. The second thing that we grow in in our relationship with the Lord is discernment. Now, discernment is something that the Holy Spirit helps us with significantly. Discernment means that we're able to identify what is not easily seen. And by the power of the Spirit working through us, we're, we're, we're given recognition between the difference of truth and the lies of the enemy. When we trust him, we depend on him, we seek out his, his guidance. He helps us to discern those things. He helps us identify dangers that are present around us. He helps us to distinguish between what looks right and true and is actually false and what is actually right and true so that we can continue to stand for the Lord. Now, those aren't just the the only two categories here. We have things that are absolutely wrong, that are not right and true. And you would think, well, I don't need discernment to identify those things. They're obviously wrong. They're easily seen by anyone, right? And then we have those things that seem to be right and true, but they're wrong. Well, those maybe I need a little bit of discernment to understand. We have things that are right and true. They look right and true. They are right and true. I shouldn't need discernment to recognize those. But then there's this other category of things that don't look right and true, but they actually are. That's a lot to try and filter through and decide about when we are looking around us in the world. And you think about all of the the things that people believe, all the arguments that are are present, all of the lifestyles that people have have taken on. And we see a variety of things. Some of them don't look right and true, and they aren't. Some of them appear to be right and true, but they aren't. Some of them are right and true. They look right and true, genuine. Others that on the surface don't look right. Maybe people are telling you this is wrong, but as you dig and you discover, they really are the genuine artifact. They really are a reflection of of what is right and true. And the difficulty is identifying which one is which. And discernment helps us to stay on on the side of right and true, no matter what it looks like, and and to reveal the truth, to, to reveal the reality of what those things are, so that our lives will be a reflection of the love of the Lord, of the grace of the Lord, of the power of the Lord, that we would reflect his image in the world around us and help people to understand who he is and how he works. Paul continued talking about this idea when he wrote to the church in Corinth, the second letter that he sent. He expanded this idea, and uh, I want to I read his words to you as they help us gain a better understanding of, of how we implement wisdom and discernment in the world around us, how we we take part in the spiritual battle with the, the tools that God has given us. In chapter 10, uh, beginning of verse 3, it says this, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 
And so we're able to engage in the spiritual battle with confidence because of what God provides. Can you imagine what it would be like, apart from Christ, to recognize that you're a part of a spiritual battle and, and not have the armor of God to protect you, not have his strength and power at your disposal, to not have those resources, to, to step into the spiritual battle with only what you provide yourself? What is it that you would use to overcome the attacks of the enemy? How would you resist his temptation? How would you resist his influence? How would you recognize false from true? Well, well, maybe you would rely on your own strength, your own, your own, your own physical capability, your skill. Uh, we would find ourselves woefully unprepared for that battle. Maybe you would think, well, well mentally, I've, I've got what it takes. I, I have intelligence. I have cleverness, strategy. Maybe I can outthink the enemy, the father of lies. That's a difficult, a difficult challenge to take hold of. Maybe this is a matter of willpower. Maybe by my own determination, my own stubbornness, I can, I can hold my ground. Now there's something that, that maybe I've got a chance at. No. But Paul says, we don't fight this battle the way the world does. We surrender those weapons. And instead of relying on our own strength, our own skill, our own determination, our own intelligence, we surrender to God. We take up the armor of God and we fight the spiritual battle with divine power. Divine power that's capable of demolishing strongholds. Divine power that's capable of sweeping away proud arguments and, and the pretension, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. A pretension, something that, that is absolutely false, but it's made to look true. And those thoughts and ideas are meant to keep people from believing in God. Keep people from accepting the knowledge about God. But through his divine power, allows us to sweep aside all those falsehoods to make known the truth of God, Jesus Christ. It's important for us to recognize our need for the Lord, our need to be empowered by him, our need to, to put on the armor that he provides, that not only would we have this helmet of salvation, but we would also have every other piece working for us, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, that's the word of God. God is, God is preparing us. God is equipping us. God is empowering us for victory so that he can be made known in the world, so that we can hold the line, so that we can stand our ground, so that we continue to live faithfully for him and not be distracted from that calling, not be pushed back from the standards of truth and morality that he's called us to live by, but that we would faithfully live for him and not be confused by the pride that we have in our own ability, the pride that we have in our own knowledge and understanding, but that we would choose instead to surrender to him. These, the words that Paul used here, um, 
the strongholds, arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It's, it's language that, that calls us to think back to the book of Genesis, a story of the gathered people of the earth who started to think about their own intelligence and skill and in pride said, why don't we build a tower to the heavens? Why don't, why don't we build a tower up to the place where God is? And together began working to build this tower. And God destroyed the tower and, and swept it away and scattered those people throughout the earth, recognizing the pride associated with their endeavor. And we think about how we live our lives, building up these strongholds, building up these, these places of pride in our lives that, that keep us from acknowledging the, the knowledge of God, the truth about God, because we're so focused on what we have to offer, what we have to accomplish, how, how we in our pride can, can make an attempt. And we get so focused on that, it becomes our source of strength, our source of comfort, our, our, the place where we put all of our time and our attention and our energy. And what we find is that when we surrender to God, when we lay down that pride, when we lay down that, that, that hope that we have in our own accomplishments and we surrender to him and trust him, and by his divine power, he sweeps away those thoughts that would have pulled us away from him. He helps us to take them captive, make them obedient to Christ. And through our submission to him, demolishes those strongholds that Satan would have us living according to. In every place that we would focus on our own pride, in every instance that we would use our own cleverness to twist the truth of God's word to validate our own sinfulness, Take that impulse captive. Take that temptation captive and choose instead to humbly submit it to the Lord and see how he works through our lives. See how his divine power sweeps those pretensions away so that we can live according to the knowledge, the truth of God, so that we can live faithfully devoted to Jesus Christ. We allow him to demolish those strongholds. We allow him to work in us and to equip us. Now, there's a, there's a clear distinction we need to make in our lives as we hope to live according to the power of the Lord and, and, and wear this armor and wield it well. This, this helmet of salvation is the contingent point. <laughs> and what we've been called to do is to be strong in the Lord and in his, in his mighty power. And we can't do that if we're apart from the Lord. We can't put on the armor of God if we don't belong in him. This suit of armor, this divine power is made available to those who believe. And apart from Christ... All that we have is our own strength, our own skill, our own intelligence and cunning until we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, until we put on this helmet of salvation. That's where we find the strength in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where we find the, the ability to put on the armor of God and, and trust him to help us stand our ground, to empower us, to keep our feet planted on the foundation that he provides through his word. It's only in Christ that we have access to God in relationship with him. It's only through Christ that we have access to his divine power and the defense that comes to us when we put on the armor of God. And so it's important for each and every one of us to recognize the significance of our own personal decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to live for him, to stand our ground in the difficulty of this dark world, to become a reflection of his image and his glory to reflect his love into the lives of the people that we encounter, to be demonstrators of his grace as we live our lives for him. And so I want to talk for a moment about what it is to 
put on a helmet of salvation, what it is to accept Christ as the Lord and Savior. For those of you who have never accepted Christ, this is a biblical representation of what salvation looks like. For those of you who have accepted Christ, this is a way for you to talk through the details of Scripture, to help the people that you're, you're sharing your faith with understand what it means for them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What we need to understand is that God made each and every one of us capable of recognizing him and turning our lives to him. In fact, he positioned us in such a way that we would be able to do that. The book of Romans tells us about this recognition that we have for God. Chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So as we live our lives, every one of us, every person on earth, we recognize that the beauty of creation, the power, the majesty of what God created, the mountains, the waterfalls, the sky, the galaxy, we look around and we see that it's so perfect, so amazing, so beautiful that it couldn't have happened by chance, that it points us to think about a creator, God, who set all things in motion, God, who left clues about himself that would point us to him. Have you ever worked with clay, Play-Doh, made, made something out of it? Maybe a little dog, maybe you just rolled a snake out of it. You notice that when you're done with, with, with your work of art, very often there's an imprint left on the side of that sculpture, an imprint of your, your fingerprint. And as hard as you try to smooth it out, somewhere there's probably going to be that fingerprint left on it. This is what it is for us to see God in nature, knowing that when he formed the world, when he, when he shaped us, he left an imprint of himself that would point us back to him, a reflection of his glory, a reflection of his nature and his power that would draw our attention, whether we realize it or not, that would point us to, to search him out and find him there. That as we were looking for that, we would be convicted by the spirit. That, that there's something wrong with the way that we're living our lives. There's something more out there for us to, to live according to. And John 16, 8 says, when the spirit comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment and help us to recognize not only the error of our ways, but that there is an answer to that error. God has been drawing our attention toward him. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that, that God has set eternity in the human heart. Even though we can't understand what God has done from beginning to end, he's, he's created this longing in us for something more, a longing that we've tried to fill with other things, but we can't because God is the only thing that can fill that longing. Eternity is the only thing that can answer that, that search, that, that desire, and it draws us toward him. And as we're drawn to the Lord, we recognize that there is this gap between us, this gulf separating us from God. Isaiah 59 two says that, that that gap between us is sin. That God has turned his face away. He's hidden his face from us because of the sin in our lives. It's separated us from God. And every one of us has that problem. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the, the, what we deserve because of that sin, Romans 6.23 is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That God is working to resolve the problem of sin in our lives. And that when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we find relief from the burden of death that we deserve, that Christ took 
that payment from us and provided to us eternal life through him. A gift that we've been given that we need to accept personally. Every one of us needs to accept. And that's the point of what God has been doing. That he doesn't want anyone to be condemned, but God is patient wanting all people to come to a knowledge of him through Jesus Christ. To come back into a relationship with him, to be redeemed from that sin and live in him. And so we begin this process of discovery in the Lord as we hear about the truth of his word. It, it sparks in us a belief. And John three sixteen tells us, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That when we understand Jesus as the son of God who died for our sins, this belief would begin working in us, growing in us, not just an intellectual understanding, but a belief that would drive us to action, that would produce in us a faith that Jesus died and rose again, that when we respond to him, we can receive his gift of grace and forgiveness in our lives. That faith would drive us to accept salvation from him. Ephesians chapter three, verses eight and nine say, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. And it's not by works so that no one can boast. But we're prompted by our faith to respond and accept what Jesus offers to us. How do we begin doing that? Well, the first thing we need to do is repent of our sin, turn our backs on the way that we have been living and turn our lives toward God. When Peter was preaching in the book of Acts, there was a group of, of Israelites who, who were present at the crucifixion of Jesus who knew what they had done was wrong. And they said to Peter, what should we do about that? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit recognizing they're wrong. They wanted to know how to overcome that sin. And Peter's response was, repent, be baptized, and forgiveness of your sins come to you as, long, as well as the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we repent of our sins, we also need to proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to say out loud that we believe in Jesus and that we Accept him as our Lord and Savior. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And so we follow this pattern that, again, Peter said to Jesus, when Jesus said, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you recognize that phrasing when we have someone come to accept Christ. They publicly profess their faith in him using that phrase, and they're baptized in his name. It's important for us to recognize the way in which we accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Once we've repented, confessed him as our Lord, confessed our faith in him, we're baptized in his name for forgiveness. And Romans chapter 6 helps us to understand the meaning of baptism, the way it changes us, the way the Spirit works through our submission to the Lord to create new life in us. It says this, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, that our old sinful self is laid to rest and we come out of the water of baptism, a new creation in Christ, living our lives for him, living our lives to do what? To honor him, to live faithfully, 
to do good works. Ephesians chapter 2 says we, we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so we discover this faithful living, an expression of our love toward God, and we desire to honor him with our decision. We use the wisdom that he provides, the discernment that, that he fills us with so that our lives will be a reflection of his love, so that we can be an example in the world around us, so we can draw other people to begin to understand that God loves them and has sent his son to die for them and redeem them in the same way that he has redeemed us. And when we choose to accept Jesus, when we choose to receive salvation, we discover this whole new life for him a life in which we have been provided with grace and love, a life in which we have been given wisdom and discernment, a life in which we've been given the armor of God and his strength and mighty power so that we can stand against the temptation of Satan. We can stand against the overwhelming battle and live our lives for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that you instruct us through your word. We thank you for guiding us for protecting us, for identifying us in you. God, I pray that you would continue to inspire us to live our lives, that we would stand our ground, even when we're overwhelmed by the pressure of the culture around us, even when we're overwhelmed by the weight of arguments of friends and family and loved ones, that we would help us to find the place where we need to place our feet, that you would help us to find the strength to continue standing, that we would be a reflection of you that we would help others understand who you are and that we would sweep away by your divine power all the arguments that, that would distract people from their knowledge of you, that you, you would work through us to demolish the strongholds that other people have put their trust in, to recognize their need for Jesus as the Lord and Savior. God, we are grateful and we thank you in his name we pray. Amen.